Gracious God, we thank you that we are here because we are forever yours only because of what you've done for us. And so thank you and praise you for saving us, giving us new life, bringing us into your family, into your kingdom. And now we ask you to send your spirit by your word that we would continually be formed into the image of our Savior, the one who lived, died, and rose for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you a little bit earlier when we read from Jonah that we're into week two of what's going to take us all summer to get through these last 12 books of the Old Testament, little guys with a big message, the minor prophets, sometimes called the Twelve. And so we're starting not in order of where they appear in the Bible, but starting with one that I think is easier to grab onto, access, that's the story of Jonah. So we're into week two of Jonah, and as I said, the Bible, as this is about as brief as you can make the story of the Bible. Creation, perfectly, fall into sin, and therefore everything's broken and doesn't work like it should, and then God promises, even, even in Genesis 3.15, promises a Savior to Adam and Eve at their worst, but yet it takes thousands of years for the story of God's redemption to unfold and play out. And so, between fall and Jesus, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of time, a lot of Bible, about mm, two-thirds of the Bible would be all that Old Testament, we say, or a professor of mine likes to say the B.C. Scriptures, those that come before Jesus, but they're still God's Word, unfolding God's message, leading up to Jesus. There's a lot there. And then, yes, as we saw in Revelation, Jesus will come again to restore and make things all the way they should be. So we're in that period between fall and redemption in the Bible right now going, okay, we did David in Lent. He's a thousand years before Jesus, and now there's still a thousand years. What goes on? So we're, we're, doing, we're there with the minor prophets, or also called the Twelve. Now, sorry for some of you, that's really, really tough to see. If you can see colors, that, that's good. So David on the left, that's the, David Solomon, the gold bar. That would be, we've gotten Moses, led him out of Egypt, then later into the promised land, Joshua. You end up, uh, God later gives them a king, and so as the kingdom, you have Saul, David, Solomon, united kingdom, one Israel, and then that little line breaks. Then they split after Solomon because, you know, at some point, brothers can't get along. And so you got to have two kingdoms, not one kingdom. And so Israel and Judah, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and God is always sending prophets to call his people back. Because God loves them and wants them back. So the message of the prophets is repent, not because I hate you, but because I love you and want you and want you to be close. So sends prophets, almost all of the prophets are sent to God's own people. So you see the little prophets, if you can read their little names, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Haggai, Zechariah, those are all, Amos, Hosea, all the ones we're going to look at. Almost all of them are by a blue line or a red line. Those are God's people, either northern or southern kingdom. And then there's a few sent elsewhere. Nahum, Jonah, Obadiah. And so we're starting with Jonah, who is one of them sent somewhere else. But all these prophets are roughly 800 to 400 B.C. So that's the time period. So now to Jonah, he's not sent to God's people, he's sent to Nineveh, the world powerhouse of the time, around 790 B.C., uh, if you look up any study Bible, they'll quibble about when the exact date was, but you'll be within a 50 to 80 year period. So, Lutheran Study Bible says 790 BC. I trust it. And the message of Jonah is God's mercy, not just for God's people, but for everyone. Too many times people look at the Old Testament and say, well, God was just for God's people, and yet you have all these examples of God saying, no, I want all people to know me. 
So here's a good one. God says to Jonah, you're going to go not to my people, but these people that oppress you and are very uh, evil and violent to you, and I love them too. And Jonah doesn't like that, does he? He doesn't want to go because God says, I love you, Jonah, but I love your enemies. I love the people you don't like. I love the people that you would smile at if you read something bad happened to them. I love them too. So God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, one direction, and Jonah says, give me the you know, fastest, quickest, slow ship back then, all the way to Tarshish, all the way as far away as you can get in the other direction. He wants nothing to do with God's mercy and God's compassion. So he runs away and flees. Yes, it's probably a death wish to go to Nineveh and say, hey, you guys should change what you're doing, but that's what God asked him to do. So he says no and goes all the way the other way or at least however far he got. Well, the book of Jonah, we talked about last week, really reads like a comedy or reads like a satire. You have all these characters, these people, and none of them really do what they're supposed to do. They all almost do the opposite. And so it's, it's really funny. Jonah is a terrible prophet. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He doesn't say what he's supposed to say, and yet God uses him. God fulfills his purposes through Jonah, but you could read the book of Jonah and just say, don't be like Jonah, don't be like Jonah, and you'd probably then do everything you're supposed to do following God. The other thing we looked at last week was this, God refuses to give up on people. God is always going after people wanting, like Jesus, the lost sheep to be found. And so you have sailors, these pagan sailors that Jonah gives this measly little kind of not even sermon talk to about God, and they come to faith and they're, they're praying to God and Jonah's trying to still get out of it and die somehow. And God doesn't want to give up on the Ninevites. He wants to send Jonah there to, to tell them to repent and come to know the true God. He has a heart for the Ninevites. And God even has patience for Jonah. He refuses to give up on him and, and comes after him and calls him again, gives him Multiple chances to, to come back and do what he's supposed to do. God refuses to give up on people. Okay, so that catches us up to the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2, what we're going to look at today. So we pick it up. This is the last verse of chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah says, No, I'm not going. Gets on a boat. Many of you might know the story well. The only way to solve the storm, Jonah could have said, turn around and go back, and it would probably calm down. But Jonah says, no, throw me over. He still wants to die and not do this. But God says, no. Uh, they throw him out, and Jonah should die, but he doesn't. He is in the, God provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So it's there in the belly of the giant fish or whale Whatever it is, we don't know and it doesn't matter either or. God finally gets Jonah's attention when he's swallowed by a great fish. So if you run from God, God really does know how to get your attention. Don't try him on that, okay? And you might think, Scott, you might get the uh, fish time out. So you really don't want that one. You know, follow what God wants you to do sooner. God can be very persuasive. So there Jonah is deep in the dark Mediterranean Sea in the stomach of a giant fish, and finally Jonah does something he hasn't done for a long time. What does he do? He prays. Us too, right? When life is going well, we don't need to pray, or at least not that often, or not that fervently. When sales are up, salary is up, 
kids are doing well, doctor gave you a, a clean bill of health, everything seems to be perfect, you know you like sort of need God, but you just functionally don't need Him all that much. You can run things yourself, thank you very much. When life is good, you can be your own God and dictate things yourself. But as soon as life takes a wrong turn, we pray again, don't we? Or we pray like we hadn't prayed in a long time. We pray harder when life is harder, don't we? We pray far more fervently when your loved one is laying in a hospital bed with IV cords dangling from their arms. And sometimes God doesn't have your full attention until you have gone way, way down, say like Jonah down, into the belly of a whale. So we're going to look at Jonah's prayer, but before we get to Jonah's prayer, I want to jump to one thing that this verse tells us. Jonah is in the belly of the whale how long? There you go. And Jesus, of all the people that he could talk about in the Old Testament, all the prophets, all, 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 who does Jesus compare himself to? This tiny little book, four chapters, can fit on two pages in my Bible, Jonah. Well, why would Jesus do that? Very important. Jesus, in Matthew 12, says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he goes on to say, And now something greater than Jonah is here. This is also one of those where if you don't know that Jesus is claiming to be God, claiming to be the Messiah, you're not looking very closely at what the Bible actually says. You're supposed to look at Jesus and see the greater, better Jonah, the greater prophet, the prophet that does everything right, not Jonah who does everything wrong. When you look at Jesus, you're supposed to see the prophet who hears God's word and speaks it perfectly, or more precisely, the prophet who is God's word in the flesh who has come to speak it to you. Jesus is the one who was thrown out of the boat into the eternal storm of hell for you so that by him you would be brought in to the boat that is God's family because of only of what Jesus has done for you. Just as Jonah was in his tomb, the whale, for three days, the thing that should have killed him, getting eaten by a fish at the bottom of the Mediterranean, the thing that should have killed him was the thing that gave him new life and a second chance. Jesus was in his tomb for three days, and the place of his death and his burial, the tomb, could not hold Jesus, the greater prophet, the Savior of the world, and so Jesus burst out on Easter, defeating death, defeating evil forever. And just as Jonah was sent far away to Nineveh to tell the evil enemies of God's people that God loves them too, Jesus was sent to find all of the enemies of God too, especially you and me. While we were enemies, as Romans tells us, while we were still enemies of God, His Son was sent to die for us. Jesus was sent to show God's love for the whole world, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, American, Chinese, Mexican, Iranian, whomever. Jesus goes to a faraway land to look for you and invite you to repent, be forgiven, and be given new life. And it's not just you, it's also your enemies. It's the people you don't like. It's the people you don't want God to show mercy to also. Let me show you this in one more thing quickly. And this is the Sistine Chapel. 
in the Vatican where they elect popes, famous place. Michelangelo, about 500 years ago, painted the ceiling, painted all of it, then a little later painted the back wall. Famous ceiling, back wall is the judgment of your second coming of Jesus. Comes, as we saw in Revelation, to restore all things, make all things right. So, right above kind of the dash, there's Jesus in the center coming again in glory to restore all things. And yet, above him, there's all sorts of characters, Old Testament, biblical characters all over the wall up there, but Michelangelo, the theologian, decides to put one singular, obscure little character from the Bible directly above Jesus to teach you something and preach something to you. And who might that person be? Well, it's Jonah, because I wouldn't show you today if it wasn't Jonah, right? Of course it's got to be Jonah. So he paints Jonah right above on the ceiling to show you just like Jonah was in three days, three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man three days, three nights. Something greater than Jonah is here. He's preaching to us too. Okay, now we keep going into Jonah's prayer. Jonah says, or it says, now the, uh, verse 1, we look at that one. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah in the belly, three fish of the fish, three days, three nights. Then chapter 2 begins. From the inside of the fish, Jonah, in his timeout, prayed to the Lord as God and said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From the deep and the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah gets really poetic and starts having all these Poetic prayer words deep in the bowels of a whale, interestingly. Uh, we're not going to read all of his prayer, but what Jonah doesn't do is repent. In all of the prayer, he doesn't say, I am sorry. He kind of makes all this poetic travels. Of, but he does say, God, you have saved me. In my distress, I call to the Lord. Next, he says, I'm skipping a number of verses, salvation comes from the Lord. He says many of the right things, but Jonah still can't bring himself to repent. It's part of the kind of the comedy of the story. But he does say, what I have vowed, I will make good. He says, I'll go. You've saved me in many ways. All right, God, I get it. I'll go. So he vows to go. Well, when people pray to God in the Bible, what usually happens? We talk to God, and then what happens next? God often responds to us. So David prays, God talks back. You know, many of the people throughout the Bible pray and God responds to them. Well, I love this. The next verse isn't the Lord replies to Jonah. It's, and the Lord commanded the fish. So Jonah prays to God. God talks to the fish first. And his answer to Jonah's prayer is, So God talks to the fish. Has Jonah vomited onto dry land? That is him bursting from his tomb to go do other things of the second chance that God has given him. That is, go to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Okay. Then it says, Jonah obeyed. Well, he kind of sort of does, but not. It's says Jonah, right? So he's not going to fully obey ever. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He obeyed that part. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey, proclaiming. And when God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because I love them and their wickedness and evil, and I love them deeply and want to have compassion and mercy for them, so they'll come back. So Jonah takes all that and then goes and says simply, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
So what is Jonah leaving out? Who's not mentioned? God, repent, why overthrow? There's a lot of things. It's like Jonah doesn't want on any level them to be saved, come to know God. And in Hebrew, this is five words. So all the stuff God wants him to say, he just walks in and says, 40 more days and then it will be overthrown. This is the kind of sermon you like get an F for in seminary. There's no, you say, there's no, there's no gospel, no good news. How do we, what do we do with that? There's, there's not much of anything. And yet, what happens? The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They believe. Jonah preaches a short, crummy, inept sermon, and the Holy Spirit translates that into people coming to faith and repenting and believing in God and are being saved. So Jonah is not a very good prophet, but he's clearly getting results. You know, the sailors come to faith because of he, like, inadvertently tells them about God and they believe, and, and then now the Ninevites, he tries to not even tell them the whole story, and they come to faith. Hmm. So not a very good prophet, and yet clearly getting good results. When you're good at something and God uses it, that's awesome, and that feels good, and that is good. But there are times when God calls us to things we don't like or we're not good at, or like Jonah, things we don't want to do, but God calls us to anyways. And when it comes to those, God doesn't need you to be great at something for God to use you powerfully. God just wants you to be faithful to what He's called you to do. God's not calling you to something necessarily because you're good at it. God doesn't need you to be good even. He wants you to be faithful. Be faithful and leave the results to God. How often have we walked away from things and said, no, I won't do that, even though we had a sinking feeling we knew what the right thing to do was, or we knew what God wanted us to do, and we said, I can't do that. I can't serve in that way. Or how often have you said, oh, I could never talk about my faith with somebody because, you know, I'll say the wrong thing, I'll mess it up, I'll be embarrassed, or I'll, I'll, you know, it'll just go bad. Well, guess what? First of all, you can't be worse than Jonah, so there's that. Take comfort. Jonah's sermons weren't good, but the Holy Spirit used them anyway. And they, them coming to faith had nothing to do with Jonah's words as much as they were the Holy Spirit bringing them to faith. Jonah's job wasn't to worry about the results. Jonah's job was simply to be faithful to what God asked him to do. You too, me too. Maybe talking about your faith with someone won't make them immediately trust in Jesus in that moment, but that's not up to you anyways. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Be faithful and leave the results to God. Maybe there's someone in your life who's difficult to love, and you feel like you've tried to be nice to them, but it just feels like a one-way street. You serve them, you're kind, but you receive nothing in return but dagger eyes and cutting quips. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to worry about how they respond. Maybe God's calling you to simply serve and be kind and not worry about the rest. Be faithful and leave the results to God. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and we absolutely honor and thank those among us, those who have served in the armed forces, but particularly on Memorial Day, those who have sacrificed their lives 
while fulfilling their calling. And those that have died in service to our country are, uh, are those that have been faithful regardless of the outcome. They were called to their vocation and they did their duties faithfully. And those that have given their lives gave their lives because they were faithful, not knowing or not worrying about what the result would be. They did their job. They were faithful. And we are indebted to them. Be faithful. Leave the results to God. When Jesus prayed in the garden right before he was arrested and then tried and going to be crucified, he prayed and sweat blood, as Luke tells us, and said, Father, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it's Jesus' faithfulness that led him directly to the cross. Yet the results of his cross and his resurrection are all yours and all mine, forgiveness and hope and new life. And Jesus will give you the strength to be faithful to whatever it is that God calls you to. So no, you may not be asked like Jonah to go preach the gospel to a faraway land that might kill you on the spot. You might not be called to that. But I bet there are a lot of things in your life and in my life that God is calling you to be faithful to. And every time you think about what the result might be, you might walk it back and say, well, it's not going to turn out well. It's not going to... Simply being faithful is enough. Be faithful and leave the results to God. Amen.